With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Betfred Sports. My name is Zach Kroll. I am your host, and this is the podcast where we will be talking all things college basketball from now until the end of the season. The final four in Atlanta, the road will end there and we have an absolutely loaded show for you guys i'm not gonna lie this was one of the easier shows for me to plan so far since i've been doing the college hoops daily podcast just because really we witnessed for the first time this past weekend that okay college basketball season is officially back we spoke a little bit about this on the show last week but it was just a bummer The fact that college basketball season started, there was over 100 games on, but none of them were really appealing. There weren't really many games that you wanted to watch. Now, we did have some results that went down to the wire in the end, but over the course of the last few days, really over the course of the last week, it's finally felt like the start of college basketball season. And we had a ton of games, a ton of interesting results, and we're going to get into it all here on today's episode of College Hoops Daily. We had the main game I wanted to get into, the main event, we uh, Kentucky and Gonzaga. We're going to get into all of that. We also had the Roman main event in Vegas featuring four star-studded teams. We had Illinois and Virginia and UCLA and Baylor. I think all four of those teams have a realistic chance to end up in the final four. We're going to get into that. We also had another tournament won by a team that I think was a little bit off the radar, including my own radar, going into the season that I wanted to give a quick shout out to. And then we will end the show breaking down Feast Week. Yes, I totally understand that in most college basketball fans' mind, the week of the NCAA tournament, that's the best week of the season, just considering there's so much high-level basketball being played. And even leading up to that week, you have Feast Week, Conference Championship Week, or excuse me, not Feast Week, Champ Week, uh, Conference Championship Week. A lot of people say that's their favorite week just because there's so many different conference tournaments to follow. And similar to the week of the NCAA tournament, you just wake up and immediately there is college basketball on your screen. But in a similar way, Feast Week is kind of like that, right? And we're going to be approaching Feast Week. As I said, it's one of my favorite weeks of the year in college basketball. But even before Feast Week, these past three days, in my opinion, are one of the more underrated stretches of three days or any time 
during the college basketball season because on Friday I'm waking up and I'm watching uh, Virginia Tech and Penn State. I'm watching uh, Colorado and Texas A&M. We had the Charleston Invitational and the Myrtle Beach Invitational along with some big time uh, regular season games. So just a great time to be a college basketball fan. And also a quick shout out to the UMass Minutemen. Speaking of Myrtle Beach, Frank Martin leading his squad to a 3-0 weekend to win the Myrtle Beach Invitational. Big congratulations to UMass and Frank Martin. But yeah, guys, you already know, we have a loaded show today, breaking down everything that happened in a wild weekend of college basketball action. And without further ado, it's time to get into it. So I said it, the game I wanted to start with off the top is Gonzaga and Kentucky. And this is interesting because even though this technically wasn't a home game for Gonzaga, it really was because it was played at, uh, in the state of Washington, in the city of Spokane, in the Spokane's Veteran Memorial Arena. And this is such a disappointing effort, performance by Kentucky for a few reasons. And I'll start off by saying this, right? I've actually agreed with John Calipari's philosophy over the course of the last few years to add the best transfers as possible. If you remember, Coach Cal's first 10 or so years in Lexington, he was adding the best freshman of the best freshmen. And usually what would happen is right away, Kentucky, they were, they're always a young team. They never play their best basketball. But part of the reason why I've been such a John Calipari fan and supporter since he took over at Kentucky is even though everyone says he's only just a recruiter and he's never, he's not that good of a coach, Kentucky would always play their best basketball at the right time. And throughout the John Calipari era, they've had a handful of wins in similar situations like this Gonzaga game where they're going on the road, maybe after a loss where not many people expected them to win and they just come out and give you their best performance of the season when you don't really expect it. And after the Kentucky Michigan state game on Tuesday night, I had Aaron Torres on this show on Wednesday. We both agreed that, yeah, it was a disappointing performance by Kentucky. That's a game you really have to win, especially considering you were leading for the majority of the game. You were controlling the majority of the game and you had two separate opportunities to put yourself up by three with a limited time remaining at the free throw line. And unfortunately you couldn't do that. So even though it was a really frustrating loss for Kentucky, Long term, we weren't worried. We expected Kentucky to bounce back and give a pretty good performance against Gonzaga. And as a matter of fact, the opposite happened. But going back to the transfers, right? I've loved John Calipari bringing in the best transfers, dating back to Reed Travis a few years ago. Uh, they've also brought in a few transfers this year in CJ Frederick and Antonio Reeves. We'll get into that. But also, like, two of Kentucky's, three of Kentucky's, Better players right now, actually, are transfers. Severe Wheeler, Jacob Toppin, and Oscar Sheboy. And part of the reason why I loved this Kentucky team going into the season was they were older. And they were a team that is that were experienced. They have continuity playing with each other. And when you suffer a loss as bad, as embarrassing as that loss to St. Peter's was last March, I expect you to come out guns ablaze, and especially, again, with basically everyone back and I know Oscar Shibway and Severe Wheeler have really have struggled with injuries and they're still getting their footing back on the floor but they were just way too many moments 
in this game against Gonzaga where Kentucky looked lost. They had a bunch of deer-in-the-headlight moments, and that's on John Calipari. You have to have your team ready to play in a game like this because what made this game so unique is, yeah, these are two of the best teams in college basketball, or should be, right? Kentucky was ranked fourth. Gonzaga was ranked second. And both of these teams were coming off of losses. Gonzaga got ran off the floor by Texas on Wednesday night. And again, I just mentioned it, Kentucky, they had a really frustrating loss in the Champions Classic to Michigan State. So both these teams were coming off losses. And part of the reason why everyone was so excited for this game was to see, okay, who's going to respond to getting punched in the mouth? Usually when you have a great team, that is a quality you need to have is not every moment is going to be easy. It's a guarantee that you're going to face adversity at some point in the season, but it's how you respond to that. Uh, that that's what matters. That's going to determine how everything else goes. And it's unfortunate because I don't even think Gonzaga played their best game. They shoot seven of 19 from three. That's 37%. They shoot 56% from the floor, which is good, significantly better than Kentucky. But Drew Timmy, he didn't play his best game yet. He had 22 points, nine of 13 from the field. But in the aircraft carrier game for Gonzaga against Michigan State, right? That was a game that they were going to lose. But Drew Timmy just took over and said, okay, we're not going to lose. The same thing happened, if you remember, in Gonzaga's game against Memphis last season in the NCAA tournament, where Drew Timmy said, okay, I'm putting the team on my back. If I need to have the game of my life to get us the victory, I'm going to do that. But that is not what happened on Sunday night against Kentucky. I don't think Gonzaga necessarily played their best game. Julian Strouder, he was really good. He has 20 points and 14 rebounds, shooting three of four from the from the three-point line. Also, Rasir Bolton, former Iowa State transfer, he had a really good game, 24 points, four of eight from three, eight of 14 from the field. And again, even though it wasn't Gonzaga's best game, and here's another thing to keep in mind, right? Kentucky, I just said, they're bringing just about everyone back from last year and the players they lost, like you're not, you weren't worried. It wasn't a big, massive hole. Oh, you lose Ty Ty Washington. Okay, fine. We have Case and Wallace. And then when you look at the Gonzaga perspective, they lose a lot, right? They lose Chet Holmgren from last year. They lose Andrew Nebhardt from last year. And I was someone that's been saying like, it was not spoken about enough that Gonzaga is really going to miss both those two guys going into this season. And I like Nolan Hickman. I think he has the potential to be a good player down the line. But there is a clear drop-off going from Andrew Nebhart to Nolan Hickman. And I'm not even trying to use that as a dig at Hickman, but Nebhart was a first-round pick and was just the definition of steady and consistent during his days at Gonzaga. But point guard play, that's a massive concern for Gonzaga. That would be something that going into this game – I would have thought Kentucky had the edge and just the effort wasn't there for Kentucky. And that's a problem. Julian Strather, I mentioned 14 rebounds, like that's effort. Anton Watson, he finishes with a double double, 10 points, 10 rebounds. That's just effort. But when I look at this Kentucky team, yeah, Oscar Sheboy, he had 20 points and 15 rebounds, but he also got into foul trouble, which really hurt Kentucky in this game. And his third and his fourth fouls, they were just unacceptable. Those were not fouls that needed to happen. And I think that's something that really took Kentucky out of this game. And both losses, Kentucky has suffered. The team has just not been disciplined enough. They've had over 20 personal fouls 
in all of these games. They had 22 against Gonzaga last night, 25 against Michigan State uh, in the Champions Classic. And when these teams have foul trouble, it's tough. They're just not going to play the same way. And I know John Calipari has this weird fascination with Lance Ware. Personally, I don't see it. Every time he's on the floor, I kind of wonder why. But when you're comparing his impact on the floor compared to Oscar Shibway, like it's not even close. And the other thing I'll say about Kentucky is I think last year, one of the things that really hurt them down the stretch was Kellen Grady and his inability to make shots. And I know he was injured. He clearly was not himself, but Kentucky really missed that consistent three-point shooter that, that, that they had really earlier on in the season. And this year, I thought that was fixed, right? They bring in uh, uh, Antonio Reeves, the transfer from Illinois State, who was averaging over 20 a game, and he looked awesome in the Bahamas tour. They also have C.J. Frederick returning to the floor, the Iowa transfer, and I know he missed all of last year, but I'm not going to lie to you guys. In both games that I've watched C.J. Frederick play against Gonzaga and against Michigan State, something looks off. He looks hesitant to shoot. He finishes with three points in 36 minutes, goes one of nine from the field and one of six from three. And that's one of those things where C.J. Frederick, he is on the floor exclusively to make and shoot three-point shots. And when he's not doing that, he's pretty useless. And again, this is exactly what Kentucky fans witnessed with Kellen Grady last year, and it cost them. He could not hit anything in that St. Peter's game, and I think that lack of confidence kind of just rubbed off on the rest of the team. Antonio Reeves, he shoots four of 13 from the field in this game, finishes with 10 points and a dismal two of seven from three. So uh, Reed, Reeves and Frederick combined in this game shoot three of 13. That's not good enough. And then if you look at their stats in the Michigan State game, shooting from three, these again are Kentucky's two best shooters, experienced players, transfers. They did not play well either in that Michigan State game. They shot a combined two of nine from three. So in both games that these two guys have played against the biggest opponents, they have shot a combined five of 37. It's just not good enough for Kentucky in this stretch going up against Michigan State and Gonzaga, and you need those guys to be better. And this is a really frustrating loss for Kentucky against Gonzaga. It's one of those games where... Everything that could have gone wrong really did go wrong. And again, I think the frustrating part is Gonzaga really didn't play their best basketball in this game. And still, not only did they win, but they won going away. Like it wasn't really particularly close. And that's got to be really frustrating if you're a Kentucky fan, considering just how high the expectations were going into this season. And it's just really disappointing because, again, this team was expected to be a top five team, even though they lost to St. Peter's in just embarrassing fashion in the NCAA tournament to close out last year. And a lot of people, including myself, thought bringing a lot of these same players back would really help this Kentucky team. And it hasn't. And you look at the box score, right? Oscar Shibwe. 20 points. Jacob Toppin had 16. Kaysen Wallace had 14. Antonio Reeves had 10. But at the end of the day, these guys, they just need to be better. And it's an unfortunate loss for Kentucky. Now, luckily, 
They've played some big games early, and the schedule does ease up. They still have a few weeks until their next big game against Michigan. That will come on December 4th, and they will have UCLA before they will start off SEC play at Missouri on December 28th. But at the end of the day, you just got to be better if you're Kentucky, and that's going to be a loss that really does bother you for a long time. And I just wanted to correct a quick stat that I mentioned earlier. Reeves and Frederick have shot a combined 6 of 25. Did uh, Not always great doing the math in your head on the fly like that, but Reeves and Frederick have shot a combined 6 of 25 in those two games against Gonzaga and against Michigan State. Have to be better, just not good enough. And I'll close out by saying this. There just hasn't really been one moment so far this season where I've watched Kentucky and I've said to myself, okay, this looks like the exact team that I pegged as a national championship contender going into the season, and that is a major problem. I totally understand, historically, in the past, John Calipari's teams haven't always gotten off to the best start, and usually they end up playing their best basketball later in the season. But last year, that wasn't the case. Kentucky peaked way too early. They peaked in about mid-February, early February, after they went into Kansas in the Big 12 ACC challenge, or in the Big 12 SEC challenge, and blew out the Jayhawks. It wasn't even close. And after that game, we never were really able to see that same version of Kentucky again. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens this year. Again, the schedule does ease up a little bit. And I still think long-term out of the teams in the SEC, Kentucky is right up there among the teams I trust. But losing both games to Michigan State and Gonzaga to start off the season is just a massive buzzkill, especially, again, when I thought everyone learned from what happened last year. You bring everyone back, Wheeler, Shibwe, Toppin, they're all there, and they still couldn't get the job done. And just a really disappointing effort from Kentucky. But this all falls on John Calipari. He has to be better. I've been a a huge John Calipari supporter and a defender, but this loss really falls on him. The players were not ready to play. And again, you were playing Gonzaga in a tough environment uh, on the road, even though it wasn't technically a true road game. And Gonzaga didn't even play their best game. This is not the Gonzaga team from two years ago or even last year that got the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. This is a Gonzaga team that was fortunate to get by Michigan State, and they got ran off the gym by Texas, and still Kentucky couldn't beat them when they didn't even deliver anything close to their best effort. And for a team that's a national championship contender, that is really, really disappointing, and this Kentucky team still has a lot of work to do. One last thought, and this really just will show you guys my frustration with John Calipari right now. According to Kyle Tucker of The Athletic, he asked Oscar Shibway, what Kentucky should look like offensively and why they can't score against quality competition. And Shibway said, most of the time, we really don't run what coach is asking us to do. Again, Kyle Tucker of The Athletic, he asked Oscar Shibway, what should Kentucky look like offensively and why can't they score against quality competition? I think that's the other weird thing with this Kentucky team is they look great, like national championship great, against low-level competition. And I know I just said there hasn't really been a time where they've looked like a national championship contender. I guess I'm wrong technically because, they, yeah, they've looked great against Howard and Duquesne and against South Carolina State. But you know in order to win a championship, you're going to have to beat much better opponents than that. And in the two most important games Kentucky have played, they it has ended in just 
very frustrating fashion. You have to be better than that if you're Kentucky. You have to be better than that if you're Coach John Calipari. And again, you just read that quote. Most of the time, we don't really run what Coach is asking us to do. That's from the first uh, reigning national player of the year to return to college basketball since 2008-2009. When he's saying that about your head coach, that's a major problem. Uh, This loss falls on John Calipari. Kentucky was not ready to play. Kentucky was not good enough. And there were just still way too many deer in the headlights moments for a team that's this experienced that should be this good. Just a brutal effort from Kentucky. And we'll see if they'll be able to fix it because they'll have some time off. I know Michigan, they've been struggling a little bit. Michigan was actually lucky to get by Ohio last night, but it's not going to be easy to beat them either. Kentucky needs to be better. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Moving on to the next segment of today's episode of College Hoops Daily presented by Bet Fred Sports. We did start with Kentucky and Gonzaga, and I think from just the perspective, okay, one game, what was the most important one this weekend? That would be the one I pegged, and that was the game I wanted to start off with. But we also had a four-team tournament in Las Vegas, the Roman main event. And first of all, the four teams in this tournament were just – this tournament was loaded. The four teams in this tournament were great. I think they all could find their, their way in the final four, and maybe, just maybe, they all could be realistic national championship contenders. But you had, on Friday, Baylor take on Virginia and Illinois taking on UCLA. And I think the story of this tournament, right, it has to be Tony Bennett and his Virginia Cavaliers because Unfortunately, we witnessed the tragic events that took place uh, last Sunday with the University of Virginia football team with three players uh, just tragically losing their lives. And again, our thoughts and prayers are with all of them. Just a terrible situation. uh, And there's really no way to go on after that talking sports because you just that's bigger than sports. It's a terrible, awful situation. And again, my thoughts and prayers are with the victims and all of their families in just a terrible situation uh, with the Virginia Cavaliers football team. But the basketball team, they did a good job using that as inspiration in Las Vegas this past weekend because they beat Baylor on Friday night. They beat Illinois on Sunday to go 2-0, and Virginia is now 4-0. And I think Tony Bennett's Wahoos, they have a legitimate chance for claiming themselves as the best team in the ACC. And maybe even by season's end, Virginia is the team we're talking about as the team to beat. Because one thing I've noticed about Tony Bennett, his teams are always great when he has players coming back that are experienced, that are familiar with the Virginia system. That's actually part of the reason why I was a little worried about Villanova uh, and their future, just because historically, like Jay Wright's guys have always been good uh, with more years in the program, more years in the system. And we don't know if that's going to be the case with Kyle Neptune going forward. But Virginia, they return all five 
of their starters from last year's team with Kihei Clark and Reese Beekman and Armand Franklin and Caden Shedrick and Jaden Gardner. Well, they also add some guys in Bennett Vanderplas, the transfer from Ohio, who I just think fits great with this Virginia team. Now, the main reason why Virginia won these last two games, right? Obviously, their defense is always good. They had some pretty balanced scoring efforts. But the one thing that really stood out to me from the Virginia perspective, especially on Sunday against Illinois, was Reese Beekman. Beekman finishes Sunday's game 17 points, four rebounds, three assists, shoots six of eight from the field, one of three from three. But what's also interesting is in Virginia's victory on Friday night against Baylor, Beekman finishes with 10 points, one rebound, and listen to this, 10 assists. Now, Virginia, they weren't sure after last season ended whether or not Kihei Clark would come back. Now, Clark is the only remaining member from that 2019 national championship team with Virginia where they took down Texas Tech, and Kihei Clark even made one of the best plays in the history of Virginia basketball, making that pass right before the end of regulation to Mamadi Adiakite to give Virginia the tie. And that game ended up going into overtime. Virginia wins it that epic Elite Eight game against Purdue. But Kihei Clark is back. They also bring back Armand Franklin, who was a player I really liked at Indiana. I actually think his last year at Indiana, I believe that was Archie Miller's last year in Bloomington as well in 2021. Franklin was probably the best guard on that Virginia team. Him and Trace Jackson Davis were the two leading scorers. So Franklin is a really good experienced player. I like Gardner, another transfer, former East Carolina Pirate, who was one of the better players in the AAC during his time at ECU. He's looked really good in the ACC at Virginia so far. Caden Shedrick. He only played uh, 20 minutes in last night's game, but he has 7.6 rebounds. He's improving, keeps on getting better and better. I like Vanderplas. I'm telling you guys right now, Tony Bennett is an elite coach. He's one of the five best coaches in college basketball. And when he brings back a roster full of returning players, that's when Virginia's at their best. And they beat, I'm telling you guys, two of the best teams in the country this past weekend in Baylor and Illinois uh, let's talk a little bit about Illinois. They had a really imp- impressive win on Friday night over UCLA. Terrence Shannon, w- with probably the performance of the week, dropping 29 points, 10 rebounds, shoots 9 of 13 from the field, and 8 of 9 from 3. He couldn't miss on Friday night, and Illinois had a good effort on Sunday against Virginia. Unfortunately, they lose that one again, 70-61, to 61, behind 17 points from Reese Beekman. But I'll say this about Illinois, right? I think Brad Underwood is one of the more underrated coaches in the country. Maybe the most underrated coach. I think he's elite. Uh, And I understand he hasn't had that one big NCAA tournament run yet. And that's probably why he has some different opinions on him. Some people love him. Some people hate him. Other people are in the middle. But this guy has been winning consistently since he was at Stephen F. Austin. You remember Stephen F. Austin, 2014, 2015, they make back-to-back, or really, yeah, three NCAA tournaments in a row under Underwood. And in two of those years, in 2014 and 2016, they could they could have advanced. Like, they won an NCAA tournament game in 2014. They won another one in 2016 and really should have went to the Sweet 16, but they didn't. Underwood then wins his one year at Oklahoma State. It takes them a little bit of time to turn this Illinois program around, but that was really just because of how bad it was when he got here. But then immediately... By year two, year three, he has them competitive. He gets them a number one seed 
in the NCAA tournament and a Big Ten tournament championship two years ago. Illinois had a solid year last year. And even though they do lose a lot, including Kofi Coburn, I think this team is the real deal. Because without Kofi, and he was a great player, no doubt, when you have him on your team, everything has to focus on him. And you have to set up everything around him. And the problem was Kofi Coburn was just not a great passer. You saw in that Loyola Chicago NCAA tournament game, the Ramblers did a great job of just getting him as far as the rim as possible. And that worked. That clearly had him rattled. And now Illinois just has these wings. That's a legit factory from Terrence Shannon to Matthew Meyer to RJ Melendez and this new lineup of playing Coleman Hawkins at the five, which works, by the way, he's 6'10". He, with with a sick wingspan, he could rebound. But the thing with him is he's skilled. He could shoot on the offensive side of the ball, which gives this Illinois team a great look. Illinois in the preseason was my pick to win the Big Ten. And I want to give a shout out to Indiana. They were impressive on Friday night against Xavier. That's a tough place to play against a really good Musketeer team. And I do think right now, I would still say Indiana and Illinois are the two best teams in the Big Ten, although I would put Michigan State and Iowa right behind them. I think those are the four teams I would put on Tier 1 in the Big Ten right now. I actually tweeted that out after Illinois' big victory over Virginia on Friday. You can follow me, by the way, Zach Kroll underscore on Twitter, Z-A-C-K-R-U-L-L underscore. But Illinois is legit. I think they're going to win the Big Ten. I'm a huge fan of Brad Underwood, and I think he's due – for a long NCAA tournament run. I know they have a freshman point guard in Sky Clark, which could be a concern, but he looked pretty good over the weekend. And with Shannon and Meyer and Melendez and Hawkins, and most importantly, Brad Underwood, I do believe in the Illini. One last thought on the other teams participating. I think Baylor might have the best backcourt in the country between Adam Flagler, LJ Cryer, and Keontae George. Baylor had a nice 80 to 75 victory over UCLA yesterday. Flagler had 22 Cryer had 28, and Keontae George, he only played 25 minutes. He only has four points. He had a bad game. Shoots two of 10 from the field, and Baylor still gets the job done. Also, like what Flo Thamba gave him, 25, 27 solid minutes. And I know this Baylor team, they don't have a ton remaining from that national championship team two years ago. And their guards, as good as they are, they're a little small, which might be a concern on the defensive end, especially when you're comparing this Baylor team to that great Baylor team that won the national championship that just had elite guards on the defensive end, but Cryer and Flagler could score and they're going to put Baylor in a position to be competitive in most of the games they played. And they really just won them the game against UCLA. A couple people have asked me about the Bruins. Another prediction I'll share with you guys that doesn't look as good as the Illinois one. UCLA was actually my pick to win the national championship game before the season started. And that had to do with their returning continuity and the fact that they have younger players that I think would be a major factor. And I know it's early, like there's still plenty of time for these guys to get better, but Amari Bailey and and Adhem Bona did not play great this past weekend. And it's a learning experience, but I don't love what uh, Mick Cronin has necessarily done with like, like having Amari Bailey on the bench to end that game on Friday night against Illinois. Illinois wins that game. It was a close game down the stretch. And I think those are really the moments where you're going to need to have your younger players on the floor at that time. And it's interesting, like Mick Cronin has done a great job at UCLA, right? Like better than anyone could have expected. I'm a big believer in him and I'm a big believer in this UCLA team. 
But when he was first hired, my concern about it was, and Cronin's a really good basketball coach. He All he did was win at Cincinnati. The fact that UCLA, like they were recruiting the top recruits, the best players on the high school circuit with Steve Alford, and he was getting them there, but it wasn't really translating to wins. I, it was impressive that Mick Cronin came in right away, and he's getting Amari Bailey and Adam Bono, like a few of the best freshmen in this class. But Mick Cronin has never coached those freshmen one-and-done types. You know, it's a mix here with the returnees that have been on this team for a few years now that went to the Final Four just two years ago with Tiger Campbell and Jaime Jaquez and Jalen Clark and uh, David Singleton. Like, those guys with the freshmen and the youngsters like Bailey and Bona and Cronin as good of a coach he is, and I'm a huge supporter. I love what he's done at UCLA. My one question is he's never really coached those kind of players, and I'm going to be curious to see how that goes, especially mixed with a ton of these older players. And really, this was the reason why I was so high on UCLA going into the season, and we knew it was going to take some time, but so far uh, it hasn't necessarily worked. UCLA goes 0-2 this past weekend with losses to Baylor and to Illinois. The Bruins will have games against Pepperdine and Bellarmine until they start Pac-12 play in early December. They will go at Stanford on December 1st, and they will host Oregon on December 4th. They will then go to Maryland and to Kentucky in their next two non-conference games until they will restart Pac-12 play on December 30th against Washington State. So all four of these teams are really good. All four of them are teams to watch going forward. But I had to say that about Virginia. Such an impressive program. What a great story. Such an inspiring effort watching them uh, this past week against Illinois and against Baylor coming up with two big victories there. I was impressed with Illinois, even in the loss. Dane Danger is another name to watch for the fighting Illini going forward. He looks like a much improved player uh, compared to when he first arrived in Champaign right at the beginning of last season. And Illinois has a lot of pieces. They have a lot of weapons. I also liked Jaden Epps, what he showed. I think he could be a factor for the Illini going forward as well. So a really fun weekend in Vegas at the Roman main event. All four of these teams are going to be legitimately good, and I can't wait to see them in action again. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to College Hoops Daily presented by Bet Fred Sports. And before we get started with this next segment, I just wanted to say we thank our presenting sponsor and the sponsor of all things, Aaron Torres Media, Bet Fred Sportsbook. Bet Fred is one of Europe's biggest sports books with over 1,600 shops in the UK and have recently come to the US and have made a splash in a big way. They are now the official betting po- sponsor of the Denver Broncos, Colorado Rockies, and now the Cincinnati Bengals. More importantly, they're the perfect partner for us here at the College Hoops Daily Podcast because they do more for their customers than anyone out there. Betfred has VIP tailgates at Broncos games, the Betfred suite at Bengals games, and gives out more, and no one gives out more free bonuses than Betfred. As a matter of fact, we have a special offer. 
for our listeners and first-time users. You could bet $50 on any college hoops game and get $250 back in free bets courtesy of the Betfred Sportsbook. To learn more, visit betfredsports.com. Okay, so I mentioned earlier in the show when we started off, there was one team from um, one of these uh, mini tournaments that I wanted to get into. And I think with this time of year in college basketball, right, there are so many different games, so many different tournaments going on. That's why we love it. But I think sometimes there are so many of these going on that it is a little bit hard to follow all of it. As a matter of fact, in the next segment of the show, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a breakdown of all of the games, of the tournaments that I am really excited about watching this week. But we had a, a tournament that took place over the weekend. It was a four-team tournament, just like the Roman main event in Vegas, which we just finished talking about. But this was in Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. And the four teams there, you had Miami, the team that made it to the Elite Eight last year. They also brought in one of the best players in the transfer portal in Nigel Pack. You had Providence, a team that made it to the Sweet 16 last year. They won the Big East regular season title last year, and Ed Cooley became one of the most well-known and popular and liked and is one of the more likable people in all of college basketball. So Providence had a ton of buzz heading into this season, right? You also had another team with a ton of buzz, St. Louis, the Billikens, who looked very impressive this past week in their win over Memphis. Travis Ford's team made a deep run in the NIT last year, and they're returning just about everyone. There are plenty of people that did have St. Louis as one of the 25 best teams in the sport entering the season, and they should be competing at the top of the Atlantic 10 with Dayton uh, in the stretch run. But the one team I didn't mention yet, Maryland. The Terrapins, they came into this tournament a little bit under the radar. Now, they looked really good in their first few games of the season, starting 3-0 with victories over Niagara, Western Carolina, and Binghamton. All of those came by at least 20 points, which is really impressive. And with Maryland, the thing to watch going into this season is they have a new coach, Kevin Willard, the former Seton Hall coach. He takes over for Mark Turgeon, who resigned a few months into last season, and Danny Manning, and or, or he didn't technically resign. It was a mutual agreement to part ways. But we know Mark Turgeon, he didn't want to be the head coach of Maryland anymore. And even though Maryland had some good moments, I think it was time for a change. I also think... Mark Turgeon in Maryland, like that program just got killed by the 2020 COVID season ending early. And the fact that an NCAA tournament was never played, because I'll make the argument like that probably was Mark Turgeon's best team at Maryland. They uh, finished in a tie for the Big Ten title, I believe. So that was a really impressive job and, and season by Maryland. But since then, this team has disappointed and even, I mean, even the year after, actually, they made it to the NCAA tournament. Uh, they made the round of 32. They beat UConn, but ended up losing to Alabama. And last year, they were a preseason top 25 team. And that's when things really started to fall off the rails. Turgeon said, is enough, enough is enough. And they bring in Kevin Willard from Seton Hall. And the thing with L- Willard, right, it's interesting. If you look at his resume as the head coach of Seton Hall, it took him a little bit of time to get going, right? There were plenty of times throughout his first few years as the head coach of Seton Hall, where Pirate fans were really starting to wonder, like, okay, is this going to work? Kevin Willard, listen to this. He made the NIT in his second year at Seton Hall and then missed the NCAA tournament for the next three years. So in total, 
Willard did not make the big dance in any of his first five seasons at Seton Hall. And that's when he had a meeting with his athletic director. It was really 50-50 if he was going to be back. But Seton Hall decides to retain him. And then in each of the next four years, he leads Seton Hall to the NCAA tournament. Considering the Pirates had not made the NCAA tournament in any of his first five years, the fact that this guy led them to four straight big dances from 2016 to 2019 that's really impressive. Speaking of Maryland, like Seton Hall was another team that season in 2020. That was just heartbreaking for the Pirates that it was canceled and they never got a chance to play in the NCAA tournament. Because if you remember that Seton Hall team had Miles Powell, they had uh, the big man, seven footer who I'm blank, Romaro Gill, who was just an elite, elite rim protector. And Seton Hall, like they easily could have won uh, and gotten all the way to the final four back in 2020. And after the Pirates made the NCAA tournament again last year in Willard's final year in Seton Hall, he decides to go to Maryland. And Willard is definitely an upgrade over Turgeon. I like him as a coach. My only question was, okay, like, can he win in the NCAA tournament? Because that's the one thing he just has didn't prove at Seton Hall. Willard, he did make the NCAA tournament five times during his time at Seton Hall, but he never made it to the second weekend to the Sweet 16. And I think at Maryland, like, that's a much more that's much more achievable. That's much more realistic. And Seton Hall had some great teams, but Seton Hall isn't a program that expects to go to the Sweet 16 each and every year. Maryland is a team with those expectations. And Mark Turgeon, like, isn't a a terrible guy to follow up just because Maryland was so inconsistent under him. And historically at Seton Hall, like one thing I'll say about Kevin Willard, his teams usually came ready and prepared to play just about every time. And that's exactly what they did this past weekend. In their first game, they blow out St. Louis 95-67. to This game wasn't particularly close. And the thing that stands out to me about this game for Maryland is just the balanced scoring effort. Dante Scott with 25. Hakeem Hart with 16. Both those guys are returners from the Mark Turgeon era. One, the one, uh, one of the two, of, I should say, of the main additions for Maryland in the transfer portal also shined in this game. Donald Carey, the Georgetown transfer, of course, the Georgetown transfer, just nothing could go right for the Hoyas. Carey could just be another one of those transfers. Georgetown really regrets uh, letting go. And they also bring in Jameer Young, who had 11 points in this game. Carey finishes with thir- uh, 16. So nice balanced scoring effort from Maryland there. Ian Martinez, another former transfer, but this is now his second year in the Maryland program. Uh, this is the Utah transfer, Ian Martinez. He finishes with 14 points. So a balanced scoring effort in Maryland's first game against St. Louis. It wasn't particularly close. This right here is the reason why, going forward, I just can't trust St. Louis. I think they have a really talented roster, but this isn't the first time Travis Ford has had a talented roster, and he's just not a coach I trust to deliver and live up to expectations. So Miami, they beat St. Louis by over 30 points in that game on Saturday. And going into this Miami game, like, this was another chance for Maryland to to prove to us, like, okay, this team is legit. And Miami's another team I think is a little bit overrated right now. Like, I don't think they're bad. And in this game against Maryland, their best players played relatively well. Isaiah Wong with 22, Jalen Miller, or Jordan Miller, I should say, with 18, and Norchat Omir, the transfer from Arkansas Little Rock, finishes with 14. But or Arkansas State, I should say. Jeez, it's Monday. I'm sorry, people. Just uh, keep. Uh, I'll I'll be in there. But Borchad Omir, he finishes 
with 14 points. And Miami, their lack of depth showed in this one. I think that's something that really killed them in this game. And when you look at Maryland, another game, all five of their starters finish in double digits. Maryland actually only finished with a total of eight bench points in this game. But really, it didn't matter because Dante Scott, he has 24. He's looking like the go-to guy for Maryland. He's a player I've always liked. Julian Reese, he finishes with 17 points. You also have Hakeem Hart with 14, Donald Carey with 12, and Jameer Young, the transfer point guard from Charlotte, he finishes with 13. I've been really impressed with Maryland so far this season. I'm not going to lie. This wasn't really a team I was expecting a ton from, especially in the first year of the Kevin Willard era. But they've been really good. They've been really impressive. And beating two, you know, likely NCAA tournament teams, I would say, in St. Louis and Miami to start off uh, your run for Kevin Willard as the head coach of Maryland. That was just a really impressive effort. I'm happy for him and a really good job by Maryland. Now they will take on Louisville on Tuesday, November 29th in the big 10 ACC challenge Louisville. They've obviously gotten off to an awful start. They're sitting at 0 three. That's a game Maryland should win, but then they'll open up big 10 play with a home game against Illinois and a road game at Wisconsin. But then in non-con look at this, they have two massive opportunities during the non-conference portion of their schedule where Maryland will host te- – or that game is actually on a neutral floor. I'm sorry. It's a neutral floor at Barclays, and then they will take on UCLA. That game is at home at, in College Park at the Xfinity Center. So those are going to be two massive opportunities for Maryland. But honestly, it's all gravy because I don't really think a lot of people were necessarily expecting big things – from Kevin Willard in his first year in College Park. And all of a sudden, this guy has Maryland just after a few weeks to start the season in realistic contention to make the NCAA tournament just because when you play in the Big Ten, you're going to have plenty of opportunities at quality wins. And if you take advantage of those opportunities, you're going to do enough to win some ballgames. And in the non-con, beating Miami and St. Louis, two pretty likely NCAA tournament teams right off the bat. What an impressive effort by Maryland. What an impressive effort by Kevin Willard and the Terps are a team to watch going forward. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No Moving on to the last and final segment of today's College Hoops Daily presented by Bet Fred Sports. I mentioned it earlier in the show, but we are he, right now here. It is one of the best times to be a college basketball fan because it's really started over the course of the last three days. But when you woke up today, it was likely there was going to be some college basketball on. We actually had LSU beat Illinois State early, early on Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern. We also have the World Cup going on, which just started. And that's really, really early if you want sports to watch. But, you know, we're talking college basketball here on the show. But today is the start of the Maui Jim Maui Invitational. And after this, we are just going to get a ton of the best tournaments during Feast Week that are about to take place with the best teams. And before we ended today's show, I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of a guide in terms of games to watch in these tournaments and really just the tournaments that I'll be keeping my eyes on this weekend. And we will start off in Maui with the Maui Invitational. And this is a star-studded bracket. There are a handful of teams 
that not only am I really looking forward to seeing, but I think could do serious, serious damage. I'll start it off by saying this. I think the best team in this field is Creighton. The Blue Jays are the favorite to win the Big East. They had an awesome ending to the season last year, making it all the way to the round of 32 when they really weren't healthy. They also made it all the way to the final of the Big East tournament at Madison Square Garden. So Creighton, they will be taking on Texas Tech in the opening round of the tournament. That's actually the first game of the tournament that will be taking place in just a little bit. Texas Tech, they are a really good team, but they haven't played anyone particularly great just yet. And they do lose a lot from last year's team. They lose Taryn Shannon Jr., who we mentioned in today's show already. They also lose Bryson Williams, who was one of their better players last season. Adonis Arms, Kevin McCullough, who's now at Kansas. I'm really curious to see what Texas Tech does to start off the Maui Invitational. We'll also have Arkansas, a team also that rightfully so has gotten a ton of hype. We just haven't really seen them against the best competition just yet. They'll open up against Louisville. That's a game they really should win, but you never know. Crazy things happen during feast week. Uh, San Diego state. I think that's a team that more people need to be talking about. They should be the clear favorite in the mountain West. They'll open up in a pretty interesting game against Ohio state. Chris Holtman has made the NCAA tournament consistently over the last few years in Columbus, Arizona, and Cincinnati also will be participating. Arizona is another team. I mean, really, the theme for this Maui Invitational is that it's going to be the first time we're seeing a bunch of these teams playing against legit competition. We're going to see Creighton and Texas Tech both playing legitimate competition for the first time. Same with Arizona, same with Arkansas, San Diego State. They did beat BYU. They did beat Stanford. So they've been tested. Louisville, they haven't even been tested. They've just lost all three of their games by one point. Uh, I know there's no Chaminade in the field this year, but uh, Louisville might just be their substitute. If they could just come away with one win in this tournament, you're going to be feeling extremely, extremely happy if you are a fan of the Cardinals. My official prediction, give me San Diego State to beat Creighton in the championship game of the Maui Invitational. Uh, Creighton and Arkansas, if they both win their first round games, they'll play each other. I think those teams just beat each other up in the semifinals. And San Diego State, they do enough to win it. The Aztecs will be my prediction to win the Maui Jin Maui Invitational. We also will have the Battle for Atlantis. Along with Maui, this is really the other top tournament that will be going on during Feast Week. And again, this is another one where we just have a ton of star-studded teams, high-caliber teams that will be participating. The team to beat, it's got to be the defending national champions, Kansas. We've seen the Jayhawks already playing a big game. They had a nice win against Duke. I'm still not the highest on Kansas compared to most people. I think Baylor has the upper hand in the Big 12, and I would even listen to the argument, especially after the victory over Gonzaga with Texas being in that conversation as well. Kansas will host or will take on NC State. Wolfpack, bring back some talent. It's a big year for Kevin Keats. If he doesn't finish in the top half of this week, ACC, he could be looking for a new job next season. We have Wisconsin and Dayton. Dayton's an interesting team. The Flyers were pegged as a pretty common preseason top 25 team after bringing mostly everyone back from last year's team that just barely missed the NCAA tournament, but they did lose in their opening or in one of their opening games against UNLV. However, they're getting healthier. Malachi Smith He returned over the weekend, so he will be back for Dayton in that game. They will take on Wisconsin and the Badgers. We we saw them against Stanford. Uh, Very solid performance there. Nothing 
great, but Stanford, they couldn't hit a shot in that game. Wisconsin took advantage. The Badgers are a middle-of-the-pack Big Ten team, in my opinion. They'll be taking on Dayton. So the winner, we could see a rematch of Dayton against Kansas. Wow, how about that? Could you imagine, just a few years after Dayton and Kansas played in, honestly, one of the best games in Feast Week history, in my opinion, was that championship game of the Maui Invitational a few years ago. Give me Dayton versus Kansas, the rematch. The Flyer fans would be all over that game. And, oh, whoa, I just remembered, too, Dayton and Kansas played each other last year in the Orlando Invitational when Dayton hit that crazy buzzer beater. So Dayton actually has officially gotten their revenge on Kansas. Can they continue that? I don't know. But, man, give me Dayton, Kansas, please, in the semifinals of the Battle for Atlantis. Also have USC and BYU. Interesting game there. Trojans fell in one of their early games against Florida Gulf Coast. They're a team I am still really high on. I think they could have a decent showing in this uh, tournament. BYU looked decent against San Diego State, but they lost a lot of their top guys from last year. Alex Barcelo and Caleb Lohner included. So uh, Tijon Lucas, the other guy that BYU lost from last year. So Cougars have lost a lot. Uh, not really expecting too much from them this season. And then the final game will have Tennessee and Butler. And Tennessee, like, they were going to be my team to beat going into this tournament, but they looked awful against Colorado. And I just don't know if you could trust their offensive con- their offense consistently. And that's going to be something we really keep our eyes on going into this tournament. I'm going to do it, though. I'm going to pick Tennessee to win the battle for Atlantis. It could be one that comes back to bite me considering Tennessee. They aren't always the most consistent team and they haven't looked great so far this season, but I think they really get going here and I'm going to pick Tennessee to win the bad boy mowers battle for Atlantis, Tennessee, USC in the semifinals. That would be a really solid game. The other tournament I wanted to get into, you already know it, the PK-85. Now, this tournament doesn't happen every year. It only will happen, like, I guess for Phil Knight's 80th birthday and now his 85th birthday. If you remember a few years ago, back in 2017, the PK-80 was awesome. It's two separate brackets of eight teams, but all of the arenas are located really close to each other, and it really gives you that NCAA tournament setting level vibe. And we are seeing just a ton of the best teams in college basketball that will be participating in this. We will start off with the first bracket, and this is just wow. We'll have North Carolina in Portland in the first game. That'll be uh, Thursday at 1 Eastern. North Carolina has not looked great to start off this season, but this is another team where I'm just really looking forward them to see. I'm really looking forward to seeing them against better competition. Also, we'll have Villanova taking on Iowa State. Villanova already has two losses to start off the Kyle Neptune era, losing to Temple, losing to Michigan State. Uh, Iowa State, that's a game they should win. But speaking of rematches, North Carolina and Villanova, I'm pretty sure they haven't played each other since that epic 2016 national championship game when Chris Jenkins hit the shot at the buzzer. If you give me North Carolina, Villanova in the semifinals of the PK-80, I know I'll be excited about that one. We'll also have UConn and Oregon. Huskies are a team that has looked good so far. They're getting healthy. It looks like Jordan Hawkins and Andre Jackson, who both came into this season with some injury concerns, will both be back ready to go. Oregon, they're another team. They've already taken two losses, one Pretty acceptable. The other, not so much. They have lost to UC Irvine. That came in blowout fashion. That was pretty embarrassing. But then they will also take on, or they lost to Houston too last night, and they were competitive. But 
I don't love this roster construction with this Oregon team. And I know one of their top transfers from the portal, Jermaine Kusnar from South Carolina, he's out. He didn't play in that game against Houston. It's unlikely that he will be back for the PK 80, but uh, CBS sports is John Rothstein tweeted this, like this Oregon team in no way looks any similar to the Oregon teams of years past under Dana Altman that have had success with that small ball four, whether it was Dylan Brooks or Jordan Bell and now Oregon doesn't have that. They're playing this big lineup with Quincy Garrier and then Folly Dante, and it just doesn't work. And it's unfortunate. Coel Ware, he hasn't really gotten going yet, one of the top uh, freshmen in the country. So Oregon is a team that really has to get things going. Last year, their chemistry was just extremely off. I expected things to be a little bit better so far this year, and it just hasn't happened. So UConn, Oregon, that should be a good one. Also, we'll have Alabama at Michigan State. I think Alabama's a team that not a lot of people have their eyes on right now that are better than people realize. Alabama, in a kind of a similar way to Arkansas, they just had that lineup full of wings, long, athletic guys that can provide you with height. And so far, they haven't lost yet. I did watch Alabama on Friday night going up against uh, Jacksonville State, and they looked really impressive, winning 104-62. Brandon Miller, another guy, one of the best freshmen in the country. Namari Burnett, the Texas Tech transfer, he had 18 points. Mark Sears with 18 points as well. Charles Bediaco, like, I think Alabama is better than most people realize. And they will take on Michigan State, a team we've already spoken about a lot on this show. But Michigan State, they already own a win over Kentucky. They already own a win over Villanova and really should have another one over Gonzaga. A lot of people were not thrilled and really questioned Tom Izzo's strategy in terms of the non-conference scheduling. But so far, it's looking like Michigan State is taking advantage. So what a bracket. Again, North Carolina taking on Portland. We also will have uh, Villanova taking on Iowa State, followed by UConn taking on Oregon, followed by Michigan State taking on Alabama. In the other bracket of the PK-85, this is the legacy bracket. Top of the bracket, we will have Duke taking on Oregon State. Duke, we saw them in action, uh, lose to Kansas. Curious to see how the Devils bounce back from that one. Oregon State, they're a team that did make the Elite Eight two years ago, but all of those players are basically gone. We're one of the worst teams in the Power Five last year. That's expected to continue this year. Would be pretty shocked if Oregon State gives Duke any competition there. How about this one? Florida taking on Xavier. Now, Florida did have a pretty embarrassing loss at home to Florida Atlantic, but I'll give Todd Golden and his squad credit. They followed it up nicely at Florida State. And listen to this. I saw this on Friday night. So Florida goes to Florida State. Keep in mind, Florida State entered this game 0-3 with losses to Stetson, UCF, and Troy. In the first half, Florida State dominates. They're winning 43 to 26. Yes, they have a 17-point halftime lead. In the second half, Florida outscores Florida State 50 to 24. Yes, by 26 points, and the Gators end up winning at 76-67. One of the more bizarre games I've seen so far this season. Colin Castleton, he has 25 points in that one. The Belmont transfer, Will Richard, with 13. And Florida will be taking on another team that was in action. On Friday night, Xavier, they unfortunately lost to Indiana, but I did see some positives for the Musketeers for the first time ever, it feels like. Zach Fremantle and Jack Nunji actually looked pretty comfortable playing each other. Both those guys had solid games. Nunji was all right, 14 points, eight rebounds, but Fremantle with 15 and six, that was good to see. Sule Boom, the transfer from UTEP, one of the main transfers 
uh, one of the main questions for Xavier going into the season, I should say, was their transfers and just like how they would not only how they would all fit together, but that point guard spot. Uh, that was an issue for this team last year. And with Sule Boom, he's a scorer, had three assists, uh, went three of seven from the field and three of four from three. So he shot the ball pretty well. But at the end of the day, the Xavier team is lacking a natural point guard. And I, Kiki Tandy in 15 minutes, he had some moments in this game as well. Adam Kunkel with 13 points off the bench really provided spark. But between Bohm and the freshman Desmond Claude, who had two points in 16 minutes in that Indiana game, I think point guard is going to be something Xavier has to learn to figure out. And I can't wait to see them and Florida in the PK 85. That's the definition of a coin toss 50-50 game. Also, we'll have Purdue and West Virginia uh, Purdue is interesting. They've looked pretty good. And so is West Virginia for that matter. Uh, Purdue has a win over Marquette. West Virginia has a win over Pitt. I wasn't particularly high on either of these two teams going into the season, but that should be a pretty interesting game, Purdue and West Virginia. And then we'll have Portland State and Gonzaga. We've already seen a lot of the Bulldogs going into this tournament, and that will continue over Thanksgiving. And if we do have Gonzaga Duke in the championship game, that would be something we're all here for. Now, before we end the show, just a few quick notes on other tournaments. We do have... Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The ESPN Events Invitational, and this feels like so far just a tournament of severe underachievers. Look at the team's in this event, and I will give my guy, uh, Aaron Torres, of course, you guys know him, the founder of Aaron Torres Media. He was the one that brought this up to me, but Florida State has underachieved. Oklahoma has underachieved. Stanford has underachieved. Seton Hall, they took a tough loss to Iowa to open their season. You will also have Nebraska in here who lost to St. John's. The one team in this event that hasn't looked terrible that I want to give a shout out to is Memphis. We spoke about them following opening night with a really impressive win over Vanderbilt. They also had a win yesterday over VCU. They were competitive against St. Louis. I think Memphis is a team to watch going forward in that event. Ole Miss and Siena will be there as well. And it is just going to be an absolutely great week of college basketball. I can't wait. The other event quickly I wanted to highlight was the Emerald Coast Classic. We have a chance to see TCU and Iowa in that game. That'll be fascinating considering the expectations of TCU going into this season compared to what they've done so far. And Iowa has been really good. They've looked like one of the better teams in college basketball so far this season. Well, guys, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to another episode of College Hoops Daily presented by Betfred Sports. It's always great being able to talk college basketball with you guys. It's always a great time of year with Feast Week going on. So many different games going on. I'm excited. I can't wait. And yeah, thank you guys for listening. Keep an eye out for other episodes throughout the week. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? 
I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.